welcome. Pull up a seat, grab a cup, and get ready to share, listen, and learn. This is my favorite coffee story with your host, Aniko Samoji. You'll hear about the stories about coffee itself, the history, health benefits, recipes, and more, along with some personal stories inspired by coffee and the lifestyle. Now, here is Aniko Somoji. Welcome to my favorite coffee store. We are so happy you've joined us, and we have an amazing show today with a wonderful guest, Guillermo Navarro. And before we introduce Guillermo, we're going to share an Anikona Farm moment today. We actually had a record day yesterday on Anikona Farm, and we actually sent uh, the most amount of packages for the holiday yesterday that we've ever done, and it was just a monumental day. So thank you so much for all your interest in Anikona Farm. We also had a wonderful guest visit us from Los Angeles, and it was such a nice time with her on the farm. So we really enjoyed that. We had some great coffee stories and, and stories to share. And today we have Guillermo Navarro, who is an award-winning director and producer and screenwriter. And we're talking about live camera action, coffee inspiration today, and some fun coffee stories along the way. So um, welcome, Guillermo, to my favorite coffee story. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here. We're so, gl- we're so glad you're here. And we're actually together here on the farm. So I always enjoy we have a nice time here on the farm. It's such a clear day. And uh, it's always such a joy to share the farm. So Guillermo, you have done amazing work. And I know you've actually done a variety of documentaries. You've traveled 35 countries. You've been a freelancer for the Discovery Channel, National Geographic, ESPN, HBO, ABC, NBC, just to name a few. And we are so excited to share some of your favorite coffee stories, also your personal journey. Tell us, please, Guillermo, how you became involved in film. Well, it's, it's one of the things that, that you love to do. And you recognize that when you are a little kid and you keep watching movies and watching movies and going to the theater, to the movie theater by yourself or with your friends, doesn't matter. The important thing is the movie. And then it grows over the years and you start doing a lot of other things. Um, but everything keeps going back to cinema. No? I mean, some of the work that you mentioned, you know, it's a lot of great work uh, that I got paid for it and I was able to pay my bills with that. But what I always wanted to do was to write fictional narrative stories and, and make films. And, and so I like to define myself as an independent filmmaker, even though I do some more things too. No? But everything I do is so I can uh, hopefully have at the end of my life, look back and have done, you know, those um, good films. Well, definitely, your films are amazing. Tell us, please, a little bit about your early career in Argentina growing up. Yeah, I, I went to a, a film school in Argentina, and it was a timing where uh, the film industry in Argentina was very uh, inactive. There were only like seven movies a year that were produced, so... Um, uh, Make a long story short, at some point, this opportunity came from through a friend to come to Hawaii and do some university courses. So I decided to come this way and came for six months. So they stay another six months, another six months. <laughs> I think it's been like 20 years. 
So Hawaii is a hard place to live uh, uh, from. And uh, but now I'm, I'm going like backwards because I'm going to Argentina. I've been like five, six times this last year. And I have like two or three movie projects that I want to do there. So I, I'm, now I'm going back there and staying longer and longer every time I go. So That's wonderful. You still have family in Argentina. Yeah, yeah. I don't have a big, large family, but I have a few, yeah. What was um, maybe your first film project that you did in Argentina, Guillermo? Well, um, I, I did a number of films during my times uh, as... Um, as a student, like student films, short films, and 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 whatnot, and and then I work in some projects and TV shows. They are always as crew for someone else. No? I didn't have the chance while I was there to do what I would like to do, that is write and direct my own projects. So now I'm actually working on the first film that I'm going to do. That I it's a screenplay that I wrote and won an award, and and now I'm. We're waiting. Hopefully now in um, February, March, we're going to get word on the main uh, portion of funding for this film. And that actually will be my first feature film that I could do entirely in Argentina. So, so exciting. Definitely. It's called Invisible Stories. Invisible Stories. Definitely. We're looking forward to hearing about that, Guillermo. When you um, write your screenplays, how, how do you get your inspiration? And... I, I understand that you actually like to write those in coffee houses. Yes, it's it's been weird. I I never actually intended it, but there is this thing with writing. I mean, if you talk to anyone that writes, whether it's novels or short stories, poems, there's always a connection to where to write that creates the perfect scenario of inspiration and, and tranquility or, or whatever. And for me, it's been going to a coffee house, with all these people around me, all that white noise. And and I just sit there and I'm able to concentrate in where I'm writing. And, and while well, I have like a, you know, well, warm coffee in front of me. And I don't know why, why, that, why that happened, but it became a habit. And yeah, I think the last four or five screenplays that I wrote were all entirely written in um, these coffee places. <laughs> oh, might you have a favorite coffee place? Uh, I, I usually go to Starbucks, which is not perhaps very sophisticated, but uh, uh, but just because it's, it's, it's close, has a good Wi-Fi, so a lot of times, you know, you're writing something and, and, and you get a stack, and I found that a good way to go on the writer's block is to just go and research over what you are writing and you just Google uh, and suddenly some facts and situations and other stories come up and from there something new comes to your mind and you continue writing. So perhaps because of that, because I was able to jump back and forth from uh, looking for new ideas and keep, keep on writing. Huh? Did you by chance have a favorite coffee house in Argentina that you love to visit? Um, Yes, yes. I, I remember in Argentina, we have a tradition. Argentina doesn't produce coffee. So we have a big tradition of Brazilian and Colombian coffee that is growing. And, and it's been interesting because I, I grew up drinking that coffee. And even though now I'm in, in, in Hawaii, in Luacona, which has perhaps the best coffee in the world, I still can recognize when I get Brazilian or Colombian coffee. 
that flavor from my childhood. And I remember one place that was called Ouro Preto, which means uh, uh, black gold in, in Portuguese. That was a place downtown Buenos Aires that served uh, coffee. And every day I would be downtown doing errands. I had to stop there and, and, and have a coffee. And they have all these signs on how to drink coffee that for some reason I love it. Like for instance, they, they did like a special cream that they put in the coffee. But they make a big point they had to put the cream first and then the coffee so it enhanced the flavor of the coffee. So I thought it was so cool that place because it was like a little ceremony with this kind of coffee that you drank at that place. So Oh that's so wonderful. Yeah. And I bet they knew you. <laughs> yeah, I mean you keep going there and especially being Latinos, you know, start talking with everybody even though you don't know them. So when you're writing your screenplays, Guillermo, you have an idea in your mind, and it's a narrative that you're trying to tell. What are some of your uh, special topics that you like to write about? Well, I I get drawn to uh, topics that have some social commentary, like this next film I'm writing that I want to make in Argentina is about teenage prostitution and human trafficking. Uh, then working a couple of other, other scripts, and like one is about uh, migrant workers and all the justice and how it's almost how badly they are treated sometimes. Uh, another about family violence, and so it's weird because I love fiction, but but I draw from from very real topics. Yeah. I like to create. I think fiction allows you to. To expand. Uh, I mean, when you do a documentary or you do even a docudrama where you base on the experience of one person, you're just limited to that. When you do fiction, you can grab the story of four or five people and combine it in one character and make the experience deeper and, and be able to say something about that topic that maybe identifies with much more people than, than just you know, the story of one person. So I but, but it's interesting that I get drawn into uh, topics that are very real. I, I always have to tell people, because when I say, oh, I'm making a film about human trafficking, the first question, oh, is that a documentary? So, no, 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 no. It's a fiction that I wrote. But it's based in, in, in some real characters and some real stories that I found very interesting and, and amazing and combine maybe several of them and come up with those stories. So. And when you were growing up in Argentina, did your family say, oh, Guillermo, you have such a good imagination or a creative mind. Um, I, I don't actually say that, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, but what's interesting about my family is that all my family are journalists. My mother, my father, my two brothers, my mother was uh, uh, taught um, uh, journalistic ethics and history of journalism in the university, I wrote a book that is using most uh, universities, Spanish-speaking universities. Uh, my two brothers were journalists, they wrote books, and so I think that's from where came my, my yeah. attachment to reality and, 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 and social commentary. However, uh, somehow I rebelled against that. I said, no, I don't wanna do some journalism, I wanna do fiction. And, and I went in a different direction, but somehow that influence stayed there. Definitely. When you write your story, how do you capture your story so well? What goes into that when you write? Uh, it's a 
fantastic process. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it so much because um, it's, it's complex, you can say, from the technical point as far as the structure and uh, finding the three acts and the inciting incident and climax and all those things, character development. But it gets to a point in where when you get past that uh, the technical part in where you start getting into the story and it seems like the the story becomes a, a being on its own. I mean, you start writing and suddenly the characters start saying things that you didn't intend them to They come to, to say. life. They come alive. Yes. And, and so I, I think, I don't know, to me it's a little bit similar to like the musician you know, that, that struggles to dominate an instrument and gets the point in where that gets behind. It's just start playing and beautiful things start coming up. I think with writing is a little bit like that. Your first first things you write, you're struggling with, uh, okay, this, it has a beginning, a middle, and end. I mean, those basic things. Then the structure, then, you know, styles. Yeah. And then it's a point in where you just start writing. Yes. And all that kind of comes all the structure and all that comes through because you did it several times. But now uh, you can enjoy the process of, of creating the story and seeing the story go somewhere that you say, sometimes you write a few pages and they say, wow, how am I going to do that? Because I, I wasn't planning to go in this direction. How is this going, going yes. to continue? And then next time you see time to write, something come up. And I, I enjoy that process a lot. You know? and, and of course, if there is a coffee, it's also more enjoyable. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with our listeners, Guillermo, and really letting us feel what it takes to put that story together and your inspiration. I think it's fun that you do that in a coffee house and all that is around you because a lot of writers like to be in quiet, but a coffee house has a lot of activity. It's very stimulating. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for some reason, I I get concentrated on that. It's it's interesting. I, I should confess to that sometimes you're there writing and you start hitting some conversation oh, right. <laughs> in the next table and some things are amazing. These people that you've never seen in your life and say, wow, that's a character for my next script. Oh, <laughs> definitely. Making, <laughs> oh, that's so notes. fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, we'd love to talk a little bit more about your interest in fictional narrative films, but if I may ask you before we go to break, What's it like to be involved in a documentary? A documentary is interesting, too. Uh, I, I, I did a few, and I, I enjoyed I did one with the street kids in Brazil. I did a, one in, in, in the Sahara Desert with uh, Sahara, uh, refugee, refugees called the Saharawis. And, and it's really interesting in, in its own. Um, perhaps the, the problem nowadays is that most documentaries that are being done I don't consider them document documentaries. Uh, most of the times are almost like propaganda pieces of someone that wants to say something about some topic. And I don't know, I, I learned a documentary with a great teacher in Argentina and, and always the idea was to show the issue and let the audience to arrive to their own conclusions and not try to manipulate them into, okay, you see this issue is because of this, that and the other. And I kind of dislike documentaries nowadays because it's very hard to find a documentary that will be that that honest. There's, right. There are a few, but most of them are like, 
let me show you how bad this issue is or how good this issue is in in and you never see both sides of the equation. No? I think the true documentary is a little bit more uh, impartial than that. Yes. No, that's a very good point. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for explaining that to us and to our listeners. And we've been so enjoying our chat with you, Guillermo, and listening to about your early days and how you got involved in film. And we're going to take a quick break, and we look forward to continuing our fun conversation right after the break. Please join us, listeners. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. My favorite coffee story is brought to you by Anikona Farm, where every bean we grow represents a great story somewhere in the world. When you buy coffee from Anikona Farm, you're investing in new memories, stories, and experiences. We harvest our beans with your future story in our heart. So, from our heart to yours, enjoy the Anikona experience. May your coffee story be as rich and delicious as our Kona coffee with love. Please visit Anikona.com and get your Anikona Story coffee special today. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for you with Arvind Vora, Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. listening to my favorite coffee story with Aniko Samoji. Drop us a line and share your story. Our email address is orders at anikona.com. Again, that's orders at anikona.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to my favorite coffee story. We've been having such a nice time with our wonderful guest Guillermo Navarro an award-winning director, producer, and screenwriter. And we were just talking about how Guillermo likes to actually write his screenplays when he's got a lot going around at a coffee shop. And that was just such a fun story. And we would love to talk a little bit more about some of your travels, Guillermo. And I know you've traveled to several countries and doing various filming. And and uh, tell us maybe a, a favorite story while you were on travel. Wow, oh, wow, I, I we had to go through some of those memories. But there was perhaps one that, that touched me particularly. I was doing um, a documentary for a Christian organization 
they had a, a whole war with the street kids in, in the Philippines. And, and I remember I went to film that and it was heartbreaking because, uh, you know, there were, one kid was blind, the other kid, uh, you know, couldn't walk and didn't even have a wheelchair. And there were these volunteers that were going and feeding them. And, uh, and, and uh, it was kind of unique because it was seeing these kids being helped, but also the volunteers being transformed because a lot of them came from Europe and the United States. And like, remember one, one 18 year old kid from, from England saying, almost crying and saying, I didn't know this happened in the world. I didn't know this existed. I live in England and London, never seen this. And so I could see this guy being transformed right there by, by his serving these kids. And then what happened is I, I, I did that and like 15, 16 years later, I, I meet again one guy from the Philippines that worked with our organization. And when he saw me, he recognized, hey, you've been there filming. I said, yeah, that was a while ago. I said, you know what? Out of those, there were like six, seven kids. Say, it's four of those kids are in our orphanage. They grew up there. They finished school. And they're now going to the university. And I thought that, how cool. I mean, this is crazy. I thought these kids when they were no. lost to the street. And, and these people pick the map and transform their lives. Now, oh. so it's oh, that's strange. so touching. And, and, and yeah, so uh, I always did things that were related to, to social work like that. And uh, it's, it's always, always touching to see those things. Those Oh, thank you for sharing that, Guillermo. That's an incredible story. Yeah. Did you have some favorite coffee moments by chance on, on some of these travels that you did in documentaries? Um, I don't know. What I noticed is that coffee is such a take its form in every country. I'm always I'm, I'm confused trying to order coffee when I go to New country <laughs> because I figure out like you know what is a latte here it's called something else and they put the foam up or down or sugar first it's always confusing I had to ask some locals say well how do you order coffee here uh, because they all have their own yes and if you order the wrong thing they look at you like what you never drink coffee yes yeah. <laughs> everybody has its own form to drink this. And uh, so I noticed that going through different countries. Yes. Oh, well, it seems like you've adapted, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, obviously. No problem. Those travel stories are amazing. What would you say would be, like, your favorite part of filming when you're on, either on, on set or on travel or...? Yeah, I don't know. I like the, 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 when, when the experience feels new and real and, and filmmaking is an art cinema is an yes. art that is so complicated to do you know i mean if you're a musician you can grab your guitar your piano play and create your art if you're a poet you can grab a pencil and a notebook and write something to make a film is so complicated because you need an enormous budget, you need technology, you need a crew of 20, 30 people, you need actors, you need wardrobe sets. So it's so easy to get lost in the system 
and lose the not to not find the moment of creation. So when that happened, and usually happens when something goes wrong, you were planning to go one way, yeah. something doesn't work, and you need to improvise over on the fly, and and that's when magic happens when an actor suggests one thing, and someone from the prop department brings a different prop that you were planning to use. And suddenly you see that in front of your eyes, something happened and created a moment that feels so true in the screen. I say, wow, that was cool. So I guess I, I'm trying to look the same thing, you know, with writing. You know, when you start writing and so, something boycotts your plans and your your perfect story and everything becomes a mess and suddenly comes back together and you say, wow, that felt like painting, even yes. though... And doing this thing that needs all these elements to come together, but it felt like it had a freedom of the painting. So that that's where unfortunately it doesn't happen as often as perhaps it should. You know? But that's where I try to I try not to limit myself by myself. <laughs> uh, so I always try to see okay what the actor can add to this, what some crew member, what the guy do put in the lights so, or the lady doing the wardrobe, what are they suggesting here that I could incorporate and take me in a direction that I will feel a little bit insecure and I don't know about this, but arrive to a creative moment. No? That's kind of ideal, but it's hard. It's hard. I can imagine that you worked with some actors that were really good at staying on script and then there were some that probably liked to venture a bit or have a little bit of entrepreneurial sort of spirit improv yeah actors actors are are, are, are amazing I, I love actors I have great respect for for acting uh, but each literally each actor will work in a slightly different way you can recognize different schools or different styles, you know, you, you have the actors, what they call method actors that follow a uh, Russian teacher called Stalifnaski, uh, people like Danny Day-Lewis and Robert De Niro, very intense, you know, you hear the stories of that, Danny Day-Lewis doing yes. Lincoln, and for three months he was Lincoln, he didn't use cell phones, <laughs> he didn't do anything, and then you have other actors that use other methods, it's another uh, uh, teacher of actors called Sandy Meisner, a lot of actors follow that. So when you are directing and you're working with a casting where they all have different formations and different ways that they get to that moment of reality that they're portraying on the screen, you have to kind of adapt to each one. And it's, it's kind of funny, you know? I mean, I remember one time I was doing a scene and, and it was kind of an intense scene. And, and when I say cat, the, the one actor has put so much energy that he just go and kick this chair and throw this chair, you know. And, and I had to, you know, help him to, to, to unload. And then I had my actress that was crying on the corner and I had to go and hack her. And the other actor was oh, that was so cool, man. We're going to do this again. <laughs> so it was all these different levels of emotions. And you as a director had to kind of, you know, cater to, 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 to them in different ways. It's, it's great. I mean, I, I enjoy that part, you know, trying to find what works for this actor to help them get to this moment of truth and reality that is it's what it counts at the end. No? You know, when you see a movie, you might not know anything about 
film or, or the technical terms, but usually people will say, ah, I didn't do it for me, or I didn't believe it. Is that what is the basics of it? No? And when you believe it, you get into it. Oh, yes. And you, you just buy the whole story. It could be the most ridiculous story. You can see, I don't know, watching King Kong, you know, gets <laughs> the girl, throw it in the air and fall. I mean, the, the person will die after five seconds of being with King, with King Kong. But somehow you get into that and you believe yes. that King Kong exists and that they fall in love with his woman. <laughs> uh, so that's the magic of cinema. And when, when the story is well told and had those elements, that magic happens. No? It's, so it's a moment of reality, even though it's fiction, has some big element of reality in there. Well, it's when the people, the, the viewers can actually relate and they start living in that movie. And I yeah. think you have that talent, being an award-winning director and producer and screenwriter, you have that talent to bring that out and work with actors and actresses with their different styles, yeah. which is so interesting. I know you like to work on narrative cinema, and you've worked on um, some films that are social topics and have something to say about things that maybe we don't know about. Maybe we're, you know, they're a little bit tucked away from our world and you bring them to the forefront. One of your films, Relapse, is a film that you did. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Yeah, it's actually a story that relates to coffee because it's, um, I mean, it was, the story was based uh, actually here in Kona. And at that time, uh, Kona was having a huge, problem with uh, uh, crystal meth uh, that the government has to declare like um, an, an epidemic. I mean, it was, it was a lot of problems. I think it was the part of the world where most crystal meth has been uh, used and fortunately it has changed significantly. Um, so I, I came up with a story that was that this um, a guy that, that was a crystal meth addict in California. And because of that, his marriage, his career went uh, went down. And he's checking out of rehab and decides to go somewhere away from everything else uh, to kind of get a new start with his wife. Right. And decides to come to Conan and buys a coffee farm, an abandoned coffee farm. Uh, with a... So much but lack that the coffee farm was wasn't a coffee farm was used to be a crystal meth oh, kitchen that was no. abandoned so it was all contaminated with crystal meth so he gets uh, anyways uh it's, it's kind of a thriller because then the, the drug dealer shows up I, I should say that i haven't found any uh, uh coffee farming corner that did crystal meth before so <laughs> that was totally fiction but anyway works for that but the, the funny thing was that i um I was struggling to get some funding for, I, I, I do independent filmmaking, so all the films I do, I don't have the biggest studio, uh, you know, writing a big check. So it's getting all the money in pieces here and there. And I was always the first money is the hardest. And my very first, uh, the first person that gave me money, my first investor was very really funny because uh, the, the character was a lawyer from California that came to Hawaii and bought a coffee farm. And his wife in the fiction, the story, was a nurse. 
And I go and I talk to this this guy, and uh, he wasn't very interested at first. But then when I told her, I told him that, he said, "I'm a lawyer, and I came from California, and I want a coffee farm here, and my wife is a nurse." <laughs> So, so he wrote me a check right here. I was like, oh, wow, that's great. <laughs> so somehow the coffee connection worked for me and, and I got to make that film. And that film won awards. Yeah, it won, it won, uh, it won a Best Feature Film here in the Big Island Film Festival. Then won another award called Excellence in Filmmaking in the Honolulu International Film Festival. Uh, Silver Remy Award in Houston World Fest and was a special selection in Hawking in New Jersey. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. I, I'd love to see your movie sometime. Sure. Relapse, which, um, which would be so interesting to see. Now, I know you also are an amazing teacher. And you teach... Well, thank you for amazing. I know your students <laughs> appreciate you and you share all your good learning with them. Um What's it like to uh, teach film students? It's um, hmm, interesting question. Uh, I can tell you how I teach filmmaking because I, I think we do something different, or I do something different. Um, I develop a program here with a local university, which is modular education, so it's three months, extremely intense and extremely focused. I mean, only focus on filmmaking. Uh, so for some reason, we're getting a students that have done two and four year degrees in other places. And they can't do this. It's, it's a three months of school and they has an internship of another three months, so six months total. Like last year, I had this student from Hong Kong that did a four year school in Hong Kong, cost her like $100,000. And she told me, say, I learned more in the six months than I learned in those four years. So what we do is, it's a very realistic down, uh, we film a lot, they do a lot of, we, we teach students literally on the set. So Very hands-on. Yeah, very hands-on. And we try to reproduce the environment of the film industry, which is crazy. So we make them work 18, 18 hours a day and, and, and suffer through all the things that, that uh, you suffer when you do a film. But the result is that if you love filmmaking, you love this school. If you're just casual saying, oh, it must be cool because, you know, sounds glamorous to you to make films, uh, but you don't really love films, you're probably going to have a miserable time because we're, you know, working 19, 18 hours a day, all with cameras, watching movies, reading books about movies. And when we have a free day that we have, you know, some free time, we go to the movies and watch a movie. So, <laughs> what, do your, what do your students say? Oh, Guillermo Navarro, he's... He, this is what I learned from him. This is his teaching style. How do they describe you? Um, I don't know. I, I feel sometimes I'm a monster because uh, <laughs> a lot of them will, I, I can't feel they hate me at the, at the moment in where I'm, 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 I'm playing this role of like producer and saying no to everything they're trying to do. Uh, not to censor them, but to, you know, make them feel like how it's in the real world. And a lot of times, this many, many times, a year or two years later, students are going to call me from a set and they say, hey, now I understand <laughs> how things are, so I want to thank you for this or the other. Oh. So it's pretty pretty interesting, you know, how, how, how that goes. 
I feel like the, the education system in general uh, in the U.S. And, and I think most of the world, it became kind of like a, like a, almost like a customer service to a student in where the whole system is to, what do you need? Here's your book, here's your nice classroom with a nice seat, with a nice thing. And that's not a real world. Almost in every field when you go out to work, uh, you, you, you crash against so many walls of difficulties. So I think the natural way to train almost in any field is to reproduce in a safe environment those walls yes. that you're going to crash again. Let you crash a few times so when you go there, you don't feel you're so... You're ready. Yeah. yeah, because there's all these universities in where you hear this almost in every field, the students that come out and they say, yeah, I went to the school, but when I came up, it was a different world. I didn't know where I was standing. So, I think that's very helpful that you share what the real world is like so they're very prepared. I, I and I think bet so. they I really so. appreciate all they learn from you, Guillermo. Yeah. Definitely. Well, we really enjoyed talking a little bit about relapse and some of your favorite coffee stories during travels. And we're going to take a quick break. And listeners, please join us. We're going to talk a little bit more about Guillermo's Invisible Stories film that won award. Well, it's in actually in the works. And he can share with us a little bit about the story of that and how exciting that is. Please join us after the break. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. My favorite coffee story is brought to you by Anikona Farm, where every bean we grow represents a great story somewhere in the world. When you buy coffee from Anikona Farm, you're investing in new memories, stories, and experiences. We harvest our beans with your future story in our heart. So, from our heart to yours, enjoy the Anikona experience. May your coffee story be as rich and delicious as our Kona coffee with love. Please visit Anikona.com and get your Anikona Story coffee special today. Voice America Network proudly presents The Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to My Favorite Coffee Story with Aniko Samoji. Drop us a line and share your story. Our email address is orders at anikona.com. Again, that's orders at anikona.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to My Favorite Coffee Story. We've been having such a nice time with Guillermo Navarro, an award-winning director and producer and screenwriter. And we were just talking about one of the narrative films that he had written called Relapse. And now we're going to chat a little bit more, Guillermo, about what's sort of down the road in your up-and-coming projects, the movie that you're working on, Invisible Stories. Please tell us a little bit about that. Oh, I would love to. Uh, this is a film... I mean, we're talking at the beginning how I draw into into from reality. 
and this is a very real issue. Unfortunately, a very tough and hard issue that is worldwide. Everywhere you go, you find the same thing. It has to do with human trafficking, teenage prostitution. And what happened was I was following some cases in Argentina uh, that were coming on the press, and I ran attention to two or three cases where um, I got drawn into the parents of these girls. There was especially one mother, uh, which is an incredible woman. Uh, she was just uh, like a midwife, completely transparent character in the fabric of society. And suddenly her daughter was kidnapped, thrown into prostitution circles. She went out and did what every mother will do, went to the police to ask for help until she realized that the police was involved in it. Then she went to the courts. Well, judges were also both by these mafias. They went to politicians, same thing. So she said, I'm going to go and find her myself. She went out, and uh, this is a real character, knowing where the movie is based. Uh, her name is Santi Marco. And she went and uh, did incredible things, passed herself as a prostitute, getting into brothels. And she's doing that. She started meeting other girls. And... Um, these girls start giving them their names of their families and she put them in contact and start rescuing them. Well, as of today, uh, this woman, I mean, this is status today, uh, she never found her daughter, but she rescued 4,967 girls. Amazing. So when I saw her story, I thought, man, this is a superhero. I mean, this is better than Superman, Spider-Man, Batman together because it's so real. It's better than, than Liam Neeson in that that movie where he played the CIA agent that kind of falls about but he's like has superpowers can beat up I mean this woman was a, a midwife and it's real uh, she did this it happened and that that condition that superheroes have that they have a great loss and because of that they get the superpowers you know and then they start fighting evil I mean this woman kind of embodied embodied that in such a real way. So I combined that with a couple of other stories and created this screenplay. I sent it to a, a, a competition in Los Angeles and Hollywood. And I sent it because they, they say they will give awards to the 12 finalists. So it's okay, I have 12 chances to maybe get something. And then one day I got the email saying you are one of the 12 finalists. Then a month later I got the email that said you are in the top three finalists and then got the award to uh, best feature film screenplay. So then I say, okay, I, I got to do this. I think that what I wrote has connected to a number of levels. And so I went to Argentina, connected with the producer and we're, we're making, making this film. As I say before, I'm an independent film producer. Uh, all, all my films we've done it with uh, literally with a community around me. And everything we made required to involve a lot of people that came and helped and, and some people with money, some people lend things. And it's kind of what I'm doing with this film too. And it's been amazing because uh, we're requesting uh, kind of the big chunk of the money, probably 70% of the budget from the National Film Institute that gives money for to produce films like this. Uh, but there is still like a 30% which is uh, we're, we're trying to get the community to come around. And so far, a lot of people uh, get identified with the story because they say, 
you know, they want to say something about that. They see it in their own communities. They see it. They heard the stories. And, and, and they are so upset that this happens in, in, in this modern society that you supposed to have all this technology to know everything that happens and this continue to happen. And uh, so we're, we're looking now at, at different things that we're doing. Um, we have, the, the name is Invisible Stories. In Spanish, it's Historias Invisibles. And so we have a, a website because with a Spanish name, historiasinvisibles.com, that you can go and grab some information. We're going to prepare some materials in English soon. And uh, uh, and if someone wants to connect with me about this, uh, you can use, uh, you can email me to Invisible Stories, the film, sorry, no, the email is invisiblestories at gmail.com, invisiblestories at gmail.com. And we're just starting a, 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 a GoFundMe campaign for this at the uh, website GoFundMe. I think it's GoFundMe.com slash Invisible Stories, the film. Uh, or if not, you can go to GoFundMe and search for Invisible Stories. And what we're trying to get is trying to get uh, an initial amount of money to help with all what we call the development cost. In order to, to go and apply for all this funding that will go to the movies, you need to uh, uh, travel for scout locations, you need to meet people, you need to get contracts, you need to get certifications, you need to get... It's incredible how much money uh, you spend just to try to get the funding. <laughs> well, the good news is that you've already written the screenplay and, yes. and it won an award and... Um, you got that screenplay in a coffee shop. Right? I wrote it here in Corner Coffee Shop, literally entirely. And uh, yeah, that the one I think I don't think there is a word I wrote it somewhere else. So yeah, it's kind of weird, no? Because I was in Hawaii in a coffee shop writing something in Argentina. Yeah. But somehow, yeah, again, the coffee shop gave me the the place to abstract myself and in my mind fly over there and. Um, and, and, and write that story. And it's an incredible story and definitely excited for you to be able to tell your story in a beautiful film. And we wish you well with that. Now our listeners know how they can get in touch with you and, and, um, and if they have any questions. I'm, I'm curious, when you write your screenplay, Invisible Stories, I know you base this off of real events and when you met people in Argentina mm-hmm. and you did research and this, this sounds like it was three years ago that you met her that when she was trying to find her daughter. Yeah, well, I follow it through the press, through a lot of articles and yes. things for a while and then, yeah, then I went there and went to the province where this woman is and met all the work she done and she has now a foundation with they give like psychological assistance to the girls they, they rescue. Yeah, it's quite amazing. Well, she's incredible. She's she's helped over four thousand yeah. women and rescued. And she she was brought a few years ago to the U.S. by the White House and given an award as one of the ten most courageous women in the world. So it's quite amazing. Well, and thank you for telling her story, Guillermo. Um, that's so so amazing. Um, so I'm curious. Uh, what is your timing on Invisible Stories? Well, we're now waiting for um, a, the committee that is deciding over the funding. The, the The film will have a budget of around million and a half dollars, one and a half million dollars. 
And this funding will provide about 60 to 70% of that money. So we need, we're going to have an answer of that between February and March when the committee. Uh, right now, Argentina is going into summertime, so January is some vacation. So February, they start coming back and working. So between February and March will be the decision. And once the decision is made, uh, we need to come up with the rest of the money. A part of that, we already have some some promises. Um, That's great. Like has been declared of interest by one of the province where we want to, the government of the province where we want to film. And they say they're going to put some money when the other funding is there. So we're looking for those uh, smaller chunks of money, but it's still you know, yes. like, uh, tens of thousands of dollars. So we need a lot of help. And what is interesting is that I experienced with previous uh, uh, movies sometimes, uh, all the things that you need, whether it's money, whether it's a location, a house, or a vehicle, is, is such a cool way to make independent movies because it becomes almost like a whole community experience. Yes, definitely. Because at the end of the film, if you watch independent movies against studio movies, studio movies have like, you know, 600 people that did all the special effects. Independent movies have... 600 people that they have to give thanks to. <laughs> so in a sense, you ended up making a movie with all this community. So someone comes and, and puts some money or provides something that you need and becomes part of your team, in a sense. So if anyone out there uh, feels identified with this topic and would like to be part of our team, uh, we'd love to, if you can contact me, and, and we'd love to chat with you about it and, and make you part of our team too. It'll be nice that you'll be back in Argentina and filming that. Yes, uh, personally, it's such a great thing to me because after 20 years being here is like finding myself at a lot of different levels. Yeah. Yes, I bet your family is looking forward to seeing oh, yes, you. Yes, definitely. Yes, and friends. So. And friends. Yeah. And then, in addition to Invisible Stories, what else do you have down the road, Guillermo? Well, I'm working in two or three projects. Uh, one, I'm working with some producers of uh, the East Coast, which is also a very heartbreaking story of a girl. Uh, there, I'm just writing the screenplay. Uh, it's, it's, it's a girl that was adopted from U- Ukraine and uh, had a, this mother that had apparently some mental problems because she literally tortured her. And at some point, this woman, this girl was nine years old, and she put her head on an oven and sit on top of her and completely disfigured No. So she ran away and was picked up by an orphanage. And on that orphanage, they there was uh, like um, an American man that went there to, to help and brought that girl to the United States, did seven reconstructive surgeries. And it's amazing, you see her today, and it's a full grown woman, great person, married a great mother. And, and also you think you know, how uh, she was a result of many people that took interest on her and help her not only to rebuild her physically, but also emotionally through the love, through different families that host her in different times of her life, and et cetera. So that's a pretty interesting um, project too. And then working on two projects that I'm writing in my own that I hope to produce maybe after Invisible Stories. So uh, one is about migrant workers in Argentina. Argentina has a lot of uh, people that come from Bolivia, very poor people, very, especially almost all the population of Bolivia is almost indigenous, uh, from indigenous uh, uh, roots. 
And when they go down to Argentina to work, they're very hard workers, they're amazing people, but they're in a sense segregated, mistreated, they always pay them less than they should, they give them horrible places to live. So it's a story a little bit that to, to show uh, the dignity of these people that is hardworking, that is going to work hard just because they want a better life. And the other side of how people ignore that part and, and take advantage of them. So anyways, I get drawn to those topics. <laughs> well, but they're stories. Uh, we appreciate you sharing them uh, and sharing those life stories about how other people work through life and bringing those things to the forefront. Yeah. So we really appreciate that. And you have a very good heart, Guillermo, to share these stories. And we've so enjoyed chatting with you today. And we've been so inspired by all your filmmaking and your screenwriting and um, learning a little bit more about how you pull those screenplays together and all that goes into writing a screenplay. And sometimes good coffee inspiration is brought into that yes, as well. So thank fun. you for sharing that. And I guess for our listeners, we're just so delighted you've joined us today. All around the world, our friends um, from Dublin, Ireland to China and Australia and the United States, uh, Houston and Seattle, uh, California, Los Angeles. We just really enjoy these times together. So thank you so much for joining us on My Favorite Coffee Story and sharing a little bit about what it takes to be an award-winning director and producer and screenwriter. So thank you for that. And of course, if you have any additional questions, you can share those with us at radio at myfavoritecoffeestory.com. And of course, we offer our special Anikona gift to our listeners on anikona.com, where you can receive your 15%. So for us, the biggest joy is if you enjoy a little good cup of Anikona coffee. So thank you again for all that inspiration about... Thank you. Thank you for having me being a great host. And it's been really fun. Oh, it's been so fun fun to have you, Guillermo. Really enjoyed. And um, learning about all those important topics that you share with your viewers. So thank you so much. We're looking forward to seeing your your film, Invisible Stories, as well, and wish you all the best with that. Thank you. So thank you again for joining us, and we look forward to being together again on My Favorite Coffee Story next week. In the meantime, we wish you a wonderful week. Of course, we say aloha. Thank you for taking an hour out of your busy week to join us on My Favorite Coffee Story. Please tune in again for another edition with your host, Aniko Samoji, next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, we hope you'll have a relaxing week 